0: Morning, Church, um, and uh, Emily Martin. Thank you for the invite. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here. Some faces I know from the past, and some new faces. And welcome to everyone um, listening online. As uh, Emily said, keep your slippers out of shot. In um, in January, 49 BC, Julius Caesar crossed the River Rubicon into. Italy, an act that was a declaration of war, which ended up him in Rome and as Caesar. Today, January 2022, we hear about, in the reading, Jesus crossing and entering the river Jordan, another declaration of war, but this time against evil. His baptism, which you've just heard about, was a full-on assault against the devil, uh, against the evil, but it also gave us lots of weapons to help us and gave us the ability to fight back. Now, I'm not sure what goes through your mind when you hear the word baptism. Maybe a few of you in here is the first time you've set foot in church, first time you've been to a baptism, and I wonder what goes through your mind when you hear that. Possibly, do you think of a, a baby's which Martin did amazingly this morning, which we've seen in Marcus and Evelyn. And maybe you look forward more than that to the party or the drinks or the coffee and cake afterwards. Or do you imagine the scene in the scripture that, uh, that Amanda read to us, Jesus as, a, as an adult walking into shot in the desert, being met by John the Baptist and being baptized in the water than the dove the symbol maybe you think about that stuff when you hear the word baptism or does the word baptism make you think of something else maybe it might make you think of that phrase that is quite common now a baptism of fire maybe it makes you think of that in the military which i spent a good portion of my life in a baptism of fire refers to kind of a soldier's or a military person's first sort of um time in battle, and then from that military context where it came from, a baptism of fire, it's been used in many other contexts, and basically what it means is an initiation into something that you haven't done before, like, like a first time. I'm not sure about you, but I've had a few baptisms of fire in my time, and I've often found myself in those times thrown into difficult situations where possibly feeling out of my depth, but possibly a new experience and something I hadn't gone through, and it was a first-time experience. My first sort of baptism of fire was at the age of 16, when my father threw me out of uh, our family home, and I ended up homeless on the streets of Manchester. Then at 17, I unfortunately spent some time in prison and found myself in that environment that is sometimes very strange and very violent and and unfamiliar to a lot of people. At 21, I joined the army, and after my basic training, I found myself on the streets of Belfast in 1976 and 1977, being shot at, petrol bombed, and a lot of other things. That was certainly a baptism of fire. Or at 27, I arrived on the Falklands Island, and experience a sort of an isolation I'd never really experienced before in my life, and I hope I never do. I was commanding a rapier detachment there, which is a surface-to-air missile um, detachment. And I was in constant threat, or we were in constant threat there, just at the end of the war of enemy aircraft. Again, another baptism of fire for me as a young man. And at the age of 29, I found myself having gone through two divorces, more baptisms of fire. And many of you would have had, maybe not like me, hopefully, but you've had baptisms of fire, first-time experiences, and they can be sort of pivotal points in your life where we change. And what does baptism actually mean? Well, Martin gave a brilliant description of it. Firstly, it's this public Christian rite of using water as a symbol of purifying a person and accepting them into the church. Baptism is a sort of a, it's an introduction. That's why often you'll find the font at the front of the church. It's the first thing that you hit as you walk in the door. It's an entry point. Or sometimes, now in modern days, we have movable ones which are brilliant, and you can put them anywhere. But it's the first thing. Usually, that's where the church put them. It's an entrance into the family of the church. Secondly, the water represents, again, as Martin said, this outward sign of an inward cleansing. It symbolizes the Holy Spirit who is always present in these initiations, these rites of passage, the baptism. And as the scripture said, when Jesus was baptized, a symbol, the Holy Spirit, came upon him. So the Holy Spirit is always there, and the Holy Spirit cleanses us from the inside, which the water can't do. It can only cleanse us from the outside. The Scripture says, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Like I said, the dove was a symbol. And the Christian life is full of symbols. The church is full of symbols. The main one being the cross. Life is full of symbols. We all know that. Weddings, funerals, anniversaries, 21st, 18th, whatever. We all have symbols that we go through. And the military, which I spent a good time of my life in, 17 years, is full of symbols. Again, for those of you in the military will know that. And I had the great honor of recently being appointed the associate chaplain at the Royal Hospital Chelsea, which you probably know is the, the home of the Chelsea pensioners. Uh, and you may have seen those men and women in their scarlet uniforms if you're local, walking around. Amazing uniforms that they have. And while I've been there, which is not long, I've taken six funerals in the last ten weeks of these men and women. The last one I took, the chap was 102 years of age. And you can imagine the stories, the baptisms of fire that that man had been through. And the uniforms and the medals that they wear struck me. I'm military, ex-military, so I know these things, but when I was looking at them in the chapel taking the service, it made me think that 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 uniform those, those medals, whatever you think of that, and that's a discussion not for today, but whatever you think of that, it means that they have done something, that they are valued, that they belong to something, that they're, um, that they're loved, and, and the reason they're supported in the Chelsea Hospital is because of that. They, they've made a personal sacrifice in some way. And baptism embraces these values of of each new member into the church, like we saw. When you come into the church, you come into this fold, this family, as we saw with Marcus and and Evelyn, as they come in. The family's gathered here, but they're coming into a, a bigger family. And then as they grow up, they'll start to understand the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross that we know about as adults, the story, the narrative. But you start to understand that, and the Holy Spirit then starts to empower us as we become part of that, and we start to change. When you get baptized, you become part of a bigger story, a bigger narrative. Like the words in Scripture that were read out today, or like the liturgy in the baptism words that Martin read out, or or the absolution that's said in the communion, or the confession that we say in the prayers. These are all signs and symbols which are important to us. Like I said, they're rites of passage as we go through life. The scripture set in the lectionary, which is the set readings for the Church of England, which are, are laid out for the whole year. The, the one two weeks ago was, um, was John 2, verses 1 to 11. It's the, it's the wedding at Canaan, which most people know about. And I was looking at both of them, and this one today and that one, and there's, there's a kind of a link. Well, 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 I think there is. Just to paraphrase on, on the scripture, it was, a massive, um, it was a massive wedding. And it lasted three days. And the whole village was invited, not like we do weddings now. Everyone in the area is invited as well. It was an enormous event and sometimes went on for for more than three days. A massive social event. And at this one, the MC, the master of ceremonies, kind of panics because he's in charge of keeping everything going, the two families, the food, the wine, everyone's happy. He kind of panics and, and says, the wine's run out. It's sort of a catering disaster that's happening. And, and he panics, and he's embarrassed, and he's concerned for the families and his reputation and everything. And Jesus and his mother and the disciples are at this wedding on the third day. I kind of think, or want to think, that Jesus is just chilling out. He's relaxing with his friends. He's watching the family. He's enjoying himself. And his mother, Mary, paraphrasing, comes up to him and says, Boy, you've got to help. You've got to help this family. It's a a nightmare. It's going to be embarrassment. There's going to be gossip for months and months, these two young kids, these teenagers. It's a nightmare. You've got to do something, son. And I love it. He turns to her and quite sharply says, Woman, what has this got to do with me? It's not my time yet. And what he doesn't want to do is to show who he is. This is a public event. He doesn't want to go public with his ministry, not just yet. Because once he goes public, he knows where the narrative, where the story goes. We didn't. We know once he goes public, he starts his journey to the cross and to his death and resurrection. But it's a journey, the Bible tells us, he knows he's got to take, but he doesn't want to take. Who would want to do that? So he's very sharp with his mother. But then I think he does something... Absolutely extraordinary and unbelievable. He performs his first miracle. In other words, he goes public that is the Messiah, that is the Son of God. And then he starts this journey where he knows it's going to go. Why do that at a wedding? Why do that for two young kids who are getting married? It's just a social catering disaster. It's wine. It can get sorted, I'm sure. But no, regardless of all the ramifications that we know is happening and is going to happen and all the stuff that he's doing, he cares more for that young couple, for their joy, for the importance of that day than he does for his own life because then he starts the journey to the cross. And I think that's why turning water into wine is Jesus' first sign. As it points to him, As a person who brings joy, despite hardship. Like we saw here, there's joy. You're joining a family, despite the hardship that's going on. And I think joy is Jesus' calling card. It's as if he's saying, you know, it's me who's driving this universe, not you. So just chill out and relax. I've got this. Enjoy life. Yet knowing that... Those of us who are Christians in here, knowing that, we still go around and we stress and we worry and we get anxious, and some of us go around like we've been sucking lemons all day, when God says, chill out, I've got this, I've got your back. Jesus is saying, please relax, I want to give you joy, just let me do that to you, trust me. And when Jesus does his first sign, he deliberately chooses the vessels, the symbols used for purification, these large jars holding 20 to 30 gallons of water, and there's six of them used by the Jews for the ceremonial washing, the cleansing of the body outside, getting us clean. But why? Why did he choose those? Why not just fill all the jugs up on the table? Why not miraculously fill all the bottles? Why why not just do that? Why choose the ceremonial washing jars? Again, just think about it. Jesus doesn't seem to skimp on anything. That's approximately, I worked it out, 150 plus gallons of wine on the last day. That is some party. But it's interesting that Jesus uses a, a catering disaster to go public to start his three-year ministry to the cross. The Old Testament, the Torah, laid down all these rules and regulations for, for being a good Jew. Basically, it was saying that God is pure and holy and that the people are flawed and unclean. So the cleansing laws, the purification laws, and not forgetting the blood sacrifices of the animals, were all put in place to deal with this physical dirt and spiritual dirt that we have that's what we've done this morning the same thing it takes away our sins these lit rituals these symbols were so important to the people because you couldn't just walk in to the presence of god you had to do something you had to clean yourself up get your act together get rid of your sin Sin is not a very popular word to use. It's not cool, actually, to use that. But I don't know about you, but me, deep down. We all know that we do things that are wrong. We all know that we we pick up stuff along the way that sometimes is not healthy. And we need to change our ways. We know that. I knew I had to change my ways growing up as a young kid the, the way I did. You know, from starting off like Emily said in the book, you know, as a thief, and then going to prison. Then my military life, which was exciting but tricky as well, for 17 years, and then ending up as a priest. That's a lot of change, and I assure you I've still got a long way to go. When I did my Alpha course, me and Amanda did it in 93 at Holy Trinity Brompton, I remember it got me wondering why I was striving so hard at work, the stuff that I was doing. At the time, I was a general manager manager, of a big health club in London, working stupid hours. And most of the time, I remember, I was angry or stressed. Had all the toys, hotels at night, cars, money, all that stuff, but still really sort of stressed. And I was still fearful of my future, even though I had all the stuff that the world says that you need. Question to you, why do we beat ourselves up so much about this stuff. You know, for others, it it may be the, the, the pressure to always look good physically and materially at sometimes the expense of others. But why do we put all this pressure on ourselves? The pressure that was at that wedding at Canaan. The stress, the anxiety, the fear, all that stuff. And then Jesus steps in. Maybe it's because we're trying to improve ourselves. To give ourselves I don't know, to give ourselves some sort of value. I've been trying most of my life to to prove to me, you know, that I'm okay. To prove to me that that I'm capable. To prove to me that, you know, my plan is going to work. I'm going to get this stuff sorted. Or when I became a Christian, proving to myself that God will love me for all the work I've done for him. And I've constantly felt that I had to prove that to people. I'll be honest with you, even as a priest, I still feel that at times. And you know what? It's exhausting. I'm exhausted trying to do that, and I'm sure some of you are. And it will always be exhausting because, you know what? It will never be enough. Never, ever be enough because the world has this insatiable appetite for drive, for power, for money, for accumulating stuff, for gaining achievements. There's nothing wrong with that unless it comes to the detriment of you. And it's not power, it's not jobs, it's not cars, it's not wealth either. Only God can fix us. Thomas Merton, who a friend of mine has introduced me to and I've been reading quite a bit, um, says this about joy. He says, you are not created for pleasure... But you were created for joy. And if you don't know the difference between pleasure and joy, then you have not begun to live yet. Well, that really went off in my heart. I don't know about you. So Jesus came to bring this joy so we can enjoy life to the full. But life gets us down. These last couple of years have been exhausting in more ways than Anyway, things shifting, changing every day, not sure where we are, not sure what we're doing, fear, anxiety, panic is all over us at times. And in that, I don't know if you've ever felt like you just want to rest from it all, because I do. I just want to escape from watching the TV or reading the newspapers or whatever it is that's changing every day, free from the the pain of those not-so-good memories that come up sometimes or the shame, or anxiety? Have you ever thought that maybe you want to be part of something bigger than you? Something that can embrace you and look after you instead of you doing it all the time? Then if you haven't already, think about getting to know God, because that's what we've been doing this morning. Getting to know God yourself, not... Some preconceived ideas that someone else has passed on to you. Like I did for nearly 40 years. My father and my mother's views. And my military views. And whatever views I had. But not my own. Until I went on that Alpha course. These guys run it here. And you never know. You just might learn something. Something that you didn't know about. Or you might be able to look at something in a different light. It's worth a shot. It's free. Food's great. Or... Maybe you want to think about being baptized, like you saw this morning. But don't overthink it, because it's not about the law. It's not about your age either. It's not about your position in life. It's not about whether you're good or bad. It's not really about whether you attend church or not. Sorry, Martin, Emily. But it's not about that either. It doesn't have to be complicated. And if that's you, then just ponder that this week. No pressure just start to think about it like I said the military was my family for nearly 17 years it took a really big chance on me on the 27th of January 1976 when it accepted me into the army it gave me hope it gave me hope that I could be something or do something with my life, it looked after me it fed me, it watered me it wanted me when nobody else wanted me at all It clothed me, it fed me, it supported me. It taught me stuff about life. And when I became a Christian, like I said, quite late in life, nearly 40 years of age, I then entered this this other family, this this Christian family, which I'm in now. A family that again looked after me, loved me, supported me in some difficult times, Taught me stuff about God. How he loves me unconditionally. How he wants to help me change, be a good husband, be a good father, be a good man. Taught me all that stuff. And the head of that family is God. And when I met him through his son Jesus, I felt he kind of said to me, Paul, I've got this. I've got you. You can relax. I've got your back. I can ease your burdens, your worries, your fears, all those anxieties that you don't share with anybody and you've put in a box and you've locked away. Just look at me, because you're not on your own anymore. I'm going to take you through life, and we're going to be together. And for me, that was really exciting. Those words spoken over Jesus that is baptism are for all of us. Not just here, it's for every one of us. You are my son, my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Coming to Jesus completely changed my life. You know, I had no idea what it was like to be loved unconditionally, that I could be forgiven, that I could start to forgive others who have hurt and harmed me in the past. You know, and for a long time, I let my past dictate my future. And being baptized, as I was when I became a Christian, gave me a new start. It set me free from the past. Sort of a clean sheet. And joining the church was an extraordinary experience for me and it it still is You know, I had no idea what God had in store for me when I joined his family how he could use those, those four parts of my life the thief, the prisoner, the soldier the priest how he could use it to change me and how he could help others or how I could help others do that coming into the church gave me a family it gave me brothers and sisters who loved me all around the world And I know firmly that I'm part of a family now. And I'm not on my own. I have people that I can go to. So maybe this week, you could ponder the readings which uh, Amanda read out. Or the liturgy that Martin said um, for the baptism. You know, the joy of life and that word baptism. What it means to you. What it could mean to you. And as you do that, please always remember that God loves you. You know, he's for you. He's not against you. He wants the best you that you could possibly be. And you don't have to do this journey of life on your own. Not anymore. You've got God who wants to walk with you. Like the children this morning, they become part of a big family. They become part of a global family. They become part of something that is bigger than them and they will learn the narrative as they go on in life. In Jesus' name, amen.